Um, yeah, and uh, go ahead, Harsh. Tell us, uh, tell us your story. Yeah, sure. Um, can you guys hear me well? Yeah. Awesome. Hi, my name is Harsh. I am a grateful recurring addict. Clean today. Huh. So it's the first time I'm doing this. So please excuse me if um, you know I don't know how to do this well, but I'm going to give it a shot and. Um, uh, I'm doing this for Tranik because he asked me to do it and he's a bit unwell and I hope he feels better soon. Um, so I did write a bit about what I wanted to speak today. Um, it feels 30 minutes feel like three hours when you have to speak about yourself. And I'm sort of in that boat, but I'll give it a shot. Um, I want to start by telling my story um, from my childhood. And I think that's important because... I feel like as addicts, we all have something going on there in the first five, seven years of our lives that sort of shapes our beliefs about how we experience the world around us. I lost my biological father at the age of six months. Um, he was killed in a drunken drive accident and um, my mother was left a widow at the age of 23. I did not have a father figure for the first five and a half years of my life. And my mum was working trying to make ends meet. So I did not have much access to her either. But the way that I perceive the world around me is the fact that I can only access and get love if I perform well. Life is all about having a good performance. And I sort of imbibed that value so hard that I feel up until now, all my years of young adulthood has always been about how well am I doing and can I get some love out of you if I'm being a good boy, a good son, a good brother, a good citizen of my country, a good person. What it did to me, though, was it did not create a, an ability to understand what self-worth means. It was always these external factors that defined who I am as a person. Well, it did help me to become, you know, the school valedictorian, a school prefect, get a 4.0 in my college. But as addiction crawled this way in my life, I sort of started losing out on all of it. I do believe I was an addict way before I found my drug of choice, which was crystal. And I say this because I remember at the age of 13, waking up in the middle of the night um, and sneaking into the guest bedroom to watch porn for about a good five hours before I go to my school. I think I was an addict way before I found my drug of choice because I, I kept on craving something that helped me stop this voice that kept on going within me. Um, the cigarettes helped, so did alcohol, so did weed, and then all the drugs that followed after. What Crystal did to me was that it finally buckled me down on my knees because it said, there you go. 
you've lived a life where you found these substances and behaviors that's going to stop that voice for a little bit of time, but it's going to come back again. And the only way you know how to stop it is by going back there and using those substances again and again and again. By the time I was in college, I sort of accepted the fact that I'm the sort of person who's going to party hard, but work really hard too. And that did help me, um, that it sort of, um, I did well with that attitude um, when I was a young adult. But as I kept growing older, when I say older, I mean, I'm 28 now, so about at the age of 23, 24, um, it just didn't feel sustainable. It just didn't feel like I could keep, I could keep doing this, you know, every weekend, going out, doing the same things. And then I found my drug of choice, you know. The worst thing, or rather I would say the best thing that my drug of choice did for me was stop giving a flying F about anything in life. It helped me, and I say this because, you know, of course I did find something good in it. That's why I kept back to going back to it. Is that finally I could tell my life, I don't give a shit. I don't have to do anything that might make you accept me or make you feel that I'm a good person. And I'm okay with that. But clearly I wasn't. Clearly there was a part of me that was hurting, that was in a lot of pain. There was a child inside of me that never really could understand what does it mean to have love. And when I feel, and I feel that when you don't know how to accept the love, you can't give it either. So my life was really transactional for a really long time. By the time I finished college and I did my master's program back in Melbourne, and I did get into a really good university, um, I, have, I was a big party boy. I was a big party boy. But there was something missing. There's always something missing. There was a big, the way that I imagine it is that there's a big hole in the center of my chest that I'm trying to fill with things. I don't know what these things would do to me in the longer run, but I know that for now, it's sort of doing the work. And that's all I've got to, you know, I've just got to keep the strings attached and I've just got to play along for a little bit of time until I find the next best thing that's going to work. Um, I got into relationships and really serious ones way early on. And I realized that it's not just a problem with drugs, it's a problem with codependency too. Of course, that relationship was going to fail. Of course, it was not going to work out. Of course, the drugs did play a big part in it. But it didn't work out because I just couldn't find the love within me for myself. 
I had all the love for the other person, for the man that I was with. But I just couldn't find the love for myself in it. And I think that sucks big time, you know, because I would keep seeking out all these things that are external to me and, you know, not changed. I'm trying. But I know that a part of my brain does seek things out. It craves. It's in a constant state of craving. It wants the stimulus. It doesn't want to, it, it wants itself to stop thinking. It stop, it does, it wants to stop itself from thinking negative thoughts about myself. You know, that voice that always constantly goes, you're not worth it. You're not loved. You need to be able to be something to be loved. That's all of me. And 2019 was the first time that I went to a rehab. This was after a really, really hard year of using crystal. Um, I'm sorry, I should not be taking the names of the drugs, but using the harder drugs. Um, and I was a very heavy user. Now, the thing with amphetamines, what really messed me up was that it sort of did integrate my sexual activity and behavior with it. I never realized the fiend that lies within me and the pervert. I still feel it's a bit perverse, but the acts that I did while being high is not something that I would ever do in my sobriety. And that used to hurt me a lot. That used to confuse me so much. So I used to think, what happened to that sweet little boy who was with someone for four years in a long-distance relationship? What happened to that sweet man who would look forward to go on a date um, after speaking to someone for many days? And that, that really scared me. It was in the start of 2019 that my then-boyfriend um, saw the needles in the dustbin and he informed my parents about it and he said he needs help he needs a lot of help and I can't do it I'm so sorry I can't do it you need to figure it out so I fly back down to India and they put me in a rehab now the first thing that the person who was running the rehab asked me is that are you a spiritual person I said, yeah, I do. You know, I've got, I've got all these gods and I'm a Hindu and, you know, I pray and I do all these rituals. And he's like, no, you're not getting it. I didn't ask you if you're religious. I asked you, are you spiritual? And I said, what's the difference? I, I don't get it. What's the difference? He said, well, okay, do you want to do this? Because I don't take people in my rehab who don't want to go there. I only take people who want to change. And I said, yeah, my life's fallen apart. I've missed a whole semester of my master's. I've failed my subjects. Um, there's a lot of money that my parents have lost because of me. Um, I was at a point where I can't sit down. I couldn't sit down and read a page. Like the words, I could read the words, but they would not sort of register in my brain. And that scared me because it was all about external validation. 
it was all about me getting those good grades and being the good boy. So of course that was going to scare me. So the first time that I went to a rehab, I was like, you know what? I need to go back to my glory days. You know, I'm, and when I do, I can go back to years again. That's fine. You know, just I had a little bit of problem. Um, you know, once I get my life straight and I have that six-figure job and a nice house and that good car, I can go back and use and that'd be fine. You know, I don't have um, a drug problem. I just have a control problem. And once I get that straight, I'll be able to use drugs responsibly. Well, it's been four years since, and that's the reservation that's kept me in a state of chronic relapse. That's the reservation that stopped me from finally accepting that, mate, you can't use this responsibly. You can never, at least in this lifetime, go and have a drink, go and have a smoke, go and inject things in your veins and say, you know what, I'm going to stop right there. No, you can't. The first rehab was a great experience because I was physically so unwell um, and mentally so sick that I, I became lazy enough to not think. Like I used to, it used to take me a lot of effort to actually have thoughts in my head. Um, and it was a work therapy rehab. So, you know, I was busy the whole day. I used to wake up at five. It was in a forest. So I used to wake up at five, go gather some woods and sticks to, you know, get the fire on and cook breakfast for people. So it was pretty hardcore, but I needed that hardcore sort of situation. Um, because I used to get so angry when they used to wake me up at five. I used to be so angry at the fact that how dare you? Do you know who I am? Do you know how educated I am? How dare you? You know, and that needed to be broken down. That ego, that illusion of self needed to be broken down. And it did break. It did break. I was at a rehab where I was the only educated person and everyone, it was, it was like a rehab for street addicts, um, which we do have a lot in India. Um, so they had given me the responsibility of reading out the 12 steps and the program um, to the other people who were there. And I did take that up. It helped me because I finally, at some point in my life, was doing something for someone else. I was doing something for someone else without thinking, what am I getting out of it? And that helped me realize, oh, maybe this is what he was talking about when he was saying spirituality, to be in service of someone without, to be in conditional service to someone. The only thing that I missed out in my first time around is I did not get completely honest. The only problem that I felt was that if I become honest, they're going to keep me here for another month and I don't want to stay and it's going to be another month soon and that's going to keep going on. 
but I realize it doesn't matter in the grander scheme of things. It really doesn't. Because when I came back, I stayed clean for about a year, but as soon as the fear left me of them putting me back to a rehab, I started using again. And oh boy, I covered up the using for that one whole year that I wasn't using. I covered it up with such massive copious amounts of using. So the whole of 2022 went into active addiction again. But this time, the twist was that I was working as a yoga instructor. So it's so twisted. It's so twisted the fact that, and it's so perverted the fact that I was teaching about spirituality while being on a bender just the weekend before and taking a meditation class at 6am. Being okay with the fact that I'm tweaking out while all my students have their eyes closed and trying to do some meditation. The guilt of it and the shame of it kept me in those cycles for about a year more. I tried, I did. I tried coming to the meetings. I um, got in contact with, you know, the fellow members. But I wasn't ready to be honest. A lot of my shares were about, sorry, oh, this is what I want to do. This is what I should be doing. But never about what I'm actually doing. It was never about the fact that I need to own up to what I'm doing right now in the most brutal way in order to clean all that mess up. When I'm honest with myself, I'm ready to take the help that I need. My cycles became a bit bigger. So I used to use once a couple of months. But again, I was not being honest with myself because I was still drinking every weekend. So for me, the idea that it's only the harder drugs is what I have a problem with and not the drinking, not the smoking, still hadn't left me. The reservation about the fact that, you know, I can still have a drink. It's just a cheeky little beer. Still hadn't left me. And as they say, this disease is so progressive. You know, it was inevitable there would come a time when I would be drunk enough to go, let me call my dealer. And that did happen. I came back home from the yoga instructor stint. I was in a different state, um, Jan of this month, Jan of this year. Um, and straight away put myself in a rehab from Feb up until end of May. And I'm glad that I did. So I was finally ready. I was finally ready to just say, you know what, just, just help me. I need help. And I, I don't need help so that I can go back to using. I just need help to live a better life. I just don't know how to do it. I just don't know how to live a life without drugs 
without pretending, without being someone else, without um, masking, because I'm so afraid. I'm constantly afraid. And that's the character defect that I found out in the last few months. I have operated from fear all my life. Fear of not being loved as a child, fear of failing, fear of not being where I want to be, fear of not being accepted by society at large as a gay man, fear of not being accepted by my friends and family if I'm not being good according to them. And if I have to stay clean, I have to let go of this fear. And when I decided to let go of this fear, the higher power started entering my life. I finally decided to tell, I don't like to use the word God, but yeah, God of my understanding, let thy will be done. I don't know how to live this life, but I know there's something within me that can let go that can finally surrender. You know, but the God of my understanding is not conditional. You know, it's there. It's always there for me. But I need to keep doing the work. It will pour the water on the soil, but I need to sow the seed. And doing the meetings, doing my step work, getting a sponsor, talking to my any friends, journaling, writing my gratitude list, going back to the rehab once a month just to recharge myself, having a psychiatrist, having a psychologist, all of it is a part of it. There's a really nice reading the other day, it's in the JFT, talking about the man who was trying to find some help um, being on the roof while there was a flood going on and a lot of boats came and asked him to help him but he just went no my god's gonna help me so once he drowns and reaches heaven um he asks god why didn't you help me it's like i did send you help that was me you know i need to do the work if i can't do the work i can't blame someone else for my relapses I can't blame the fact that I didn't have a great childhood for my relapses. I can't blame my failure as a young adult um, to relapses. I can't blame not having a career, not having that job, not having friends outside of recovery to relapses. I need to put in the work and I need to do that every single day. And that's what I'm doing right now. That's what I'm doing today. When I wake up today, I don't know if I'll stay clean tomorrow, but I'll just, I'll stay clean today. I finally get it why they say it's a one-day program, because it, it is. I don't have to think if I'll stay sober tomorrow or in a week or the next year or the 10 years. Or, you know, when I see a lot of speakers and they come in for 10, 20 years, I'm like, mate, when am I ever going to reach there? Will I ever reach there? Will I ever have 
all these years of clean time, but I don't need to worry about that. I just need to keep putting in that single drop of water until it turns into an ocean. And that's what I'm doing today. That's all I need to do today. That's all that my higher power asks of me today. And to do it with complete honesty, today's JFT has been about honesty. Um, and it's strange because so I'm learning driving. I'm 28 and I, you know, for the first, in my young adulthood, I just never felt, I used to feel really scared of driving because I used to feel I'm going to, um, you know, kill someone on the road and go to jail and never come out. And it's been such a big fear in my life that it took me all these years. And of course, the anxiety that, you know, the drug-induced anxiety and depression that just kept me not, um, of being the passenger princess, actually. Um, but I've been driving you know, I've been driving the last week and it's been a decent, decent experience because I'm overcoming my fears. Um, but since I have the car now, I was just thinking maybe let's just go and have a smoke. You know, it'd be so cool to have a smoke with the windows down on the highway. Um, it's my dad's car, so I've got to like hose it down after. But the fantasy is still there. You know, the spurts of fantasies, of thoughts around using are still there. And it would be wrong of me to assume that they're going to be gone anytime soon. But today, if I come here and share about it, if I pick up the phone and talk to someone and just practice willingness towards the fact that I don't have to stay clean tomorrow, I just have to stay clean today, I'm safe. I'm blessed. And that's all I want. Because I know that one drag of that smoke, that one sip of that beer, that one snort of that stuff, it's never going to stay that one time. It never does, does it? It never, never does. Maybe not today, but in a few days, I'm going to start picking up that cigarette. And if I have a cigarette in one hand, I know it doesn't take long for having a beer in the other. And I'm wary of it. Am I scared? Yeah, I am. I really am, you know, because my character defect is fear. It's not going to leave me just because I'm in recovery. I'm scared that I'm going to relapse. I'm scared I'm going to do something wrong. But I'm working on it. I have all you guys. I have a program. I have people who every single day by the end of the meeting tell each other, keep coming back. I have the step work, which I find super annoying but necessary. I have a sponsor who checks up on me every day and I'm glad that I'm honest with her. And I have friends in recovery. I have people I can share my true honest self with. And love them for being their true, honest self. I always feel, is that how normal people live? Is this how it is for others? Is this how they experience life without fears and corruption of the soul? Because if it is, I would love to have that. 
I would love to have that voice within me finally say, hey, you know what? It's okay to make mistakes. That doesn't make you a bad person. Hey, it's okay to feel sad sometimes. That doesn't make you a depressed person. Hey, it's okay to have a bad day. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a bad life. And I can experience all of that today. I can say this to myself and be okay with it. I haven't been to the gym the last two days and I need my exercise every single day. It just affects me a lot if I'm not running or doing yoga or doing some form of movement. Um, but I'm learning to be okay with it. I'm learning to be okay with the fact that not all my days are going to be the same. I can try my best. I can try my best to have a routine. But it's okay if I miss one thing or two, you know. It's okay if it's going to take me another six months to have abs and a great, you know, and great biceps and, you know, all those great shoulders and back. It can wait. It can wait because I can be here and talk to you guys and share in a meeting. Future holds a lot of exciting opportunities for me because I can finally accept the fact that it's okay if I'm not that smart. I just have to be consistent. I just have to keep working at it. I'm never going to have all the answers. And that sort of kept me from applying to like good jobs and great places because I always used to feel they're going to find out that I'm stupid. They're going to find out that I'm an imposter. But it, I feel it's okay if I make mistakes. It's okay if I lose that job. It's okay if I'm still learning, if I don't give up. And that is what this program has given me. The ability to keep coming back, to keep knowing the fact that I have people, I have something in my life that helps me stay clean one day at a time. Um, I'm moving to Brisbane in, a, in about a week or two um, to start a new life. It's going to be Harsh 2.0 soon. Um, so I'm really excited about the move. Yes, I am scared because a lot of my using did happen in Australia, especially the harder drugs. But I've talked to members there. I've identified a few meetings that I'm supposed to go I have a lot of members here who are helping me figure people out there who I can speak to. And although I don't have everything sorted, I'm still looking for a place and that is a bummer because it is, it's quite hectic. Um, I'm not scared anymore. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not scared to the bone anymore. I know that things will work out. I know that something will definitely work out. Of course, it's not going to be as I plan it because life happens as you plan it, but something's going to work out and I have to be okay with it. If I keep putting in the work, if I keep working hard, if I be, keep being consistent, I know that if I don't get what I want in the end, at least I'll be happy in the fact that I did my best and that's all I've got today. That's all I have today. 
Um, Charlie, I don't know if I've spoken for too long, but um, I think that's about what I wanted to speak for today. And um, thank you for having me.